Northwest Christian School Online provides online Christian education for any students ranging from kindergarten to 10th grade. The tuition is fully covered through the state of Arizona's ESA program and is affordable for families out of state. You can count on NCS Online for a rigorous, proven online program that establishes a robust biblical worldview for all students. For more information, go to ncsonline.org. That's ncsonline.org. Could original sin be for real? Following Jesus should cost us everything. Jesus had to be tortured, beaten, crucified for my sins. That's unfair. If it has it, you're following the wrong Jesus. Well, gee, yes, sir. It's Monday, April seventeenth. Did you get yes. your taxes in? Oh, that's coming up. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I have not done that yet. Well, it's yeah. it, now again, we're filming in the future. We're in the future. Yeah, so it is a. It's not even April yet. So but, yeah, uh, at this point, we're right. it's actually way back in March. Yeah, but come April seventeenth, we will have that done. You will we'll have that, that done, okay. and well, and actually today um, is kind of cool. Our our high schoolers uh, just got on an airplane at uh, 08 o'clock this morning and went to New York City. That's right. Our high school band, choir, and uh, film. Or, but except uh, that's not drunk. Monday, April 17th. No, 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 no negative. That's, that's right. That's the Tuesday. So April 17th, they're actually back. April 17th, we're actually coming back from one mission. Oh. Um, we're going to be at, at one mission the weekend of the... 14, 15, 16, 17. So we come back on Monday. Yeah, you, you all build a house down there. How yes. Was, how was that trip? Well, I think it was really great. <laughs> I think it was really, really we, great. We need, to, we need to stop mixing Yeah, that's right. We need we gotta, to get into this today because we've got a very, very special guest. I'm welcoming Matthew Vines of the Reformation Project. Matthew, welcome to Kingdom Culture Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, now you live, Matthew, you live in, in is it Dallas? Yes, I live in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Very Suburb good. or uh, um, are you in Dallas no, proper? Dallas proper. Yeah, I'm originally from Wichita, Kansas, but I moved here five years ago. Okay. Uh, awesome. Well, as Matthew, as we get started today, I want to, I, I would love, we're going to get into your bio. And when we do, it's going to be like tipping a domino because then we'll start the inevitable conversation that we'll, we'll start. But I, I, before we go there, I would love for our students for our listeners to get a sense of Matthew Vines, the Christian. Uh, would you mind, we, many of our interviews, we start with asking the question, yeah. how did you come to faith in Christ? When did you fall in love with Jesus? Do you mind telling that story? When when did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah, no, it's funny because I remember growing up in church, I would often hear some pretty dramatic and inspiring conversion stories about the way people's lives used to be before they came to faith and then how their lives changed. And I always thought, well, my story isn't nearly that interesting because mm. becoming a Christian for me was, it's literally my second memory that I have. Um, wow. I mean, I was raised in a, a Christian home and that was my number, the number one goal of my parents was to share their love for Jesus with my sister and me. And they wanted us to really understand who he was what he did for us and how important it was to make him the center and the foundation of our lives. And that was a pretty easy sell, um, especially when you have parents who, as mine did, did such a good job of modeling what being a Christian was, did such a good job of showing what it looks like to have Jesus at the center of your life, how it changes, how you treat people, um, and all sorts of other things. So I remember you know, one Sunday when I was three, <laughs> coming home from church, sitting in the back seat, and at church that at Sunday school that morning, they just told us that all we had to do was invite Jesus to come into our heart and to be our Lord and Savior. And that all we had to do was ask him. 
in prayer. And that that's all we needed to do. Uh, and so I was sitting in the back of the car and I just silently prayed for Jesus to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And I gave him about a full 60 seconds because I thought, you know, it, it could take a minute. And it's not that I literally was expecting, <laughs> right? but I also just in my, I think I drew a little door on my chest um, to open it. And then after about 60 seconds, I closed it and I locked it. And I did this, some version of that, probably on an annual basis for the next 10 years, just in case it didn't work, right? Or just in case like I needed to re-up or I needed, just because I really yeah. wanted to make sure that that was, um, that was squared away. Uh, but no, I mean, from as early as I can remember, for me, that's the most central, that's just what it means almost to be human to me is to recognize that God exists, God loves me, God sent his son to die for me, um, and that I am, that's just how I base my whole worldview. And that's the basis of how I think about everything. And I've always thought about just what the purpose of my life is. So I'd say from as early as I can remember, my faith in Jesus has been the cornerstone of my life. And that's, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't have any really dramatic stories either in the, you'll hear dramatic stories, right? About um, bad experiences people had before they became a Christian, or sometimes you'll frequently hear, especially today online, people share stories about negative experiences that they had in church. And it's not that I've never had a negative experience in church, but I didn't, I don't feel like I had traumatic experiences in church. I feel like overall, even though the church that I grew up in, you know, I, we don't, I don't necessarily agree with them on everything today. I had a very positive experience in this church. And I think that this community was a very good community that helped to raise me and instill in me my, and helped to nurture my faith in me as I was growing up. Um, I did, by the time I was eight, I was already going to the adult Sunday school classes. <laughs> I, was, wow. I was ready to dig. Yeah. We had a Route 66 class one year that was for adults. They're going through all 66 books of the Bible. And of course, I'm just there in the front row with my dad um, every Sunday because I love the Bible. I've always loved the Bible since I could learn how to read it. And I've always just wanted to learn it more and understand it more. So for me, I mean, that's, I feel like in a way it's a, a little bit of a, a boring story because it's, there's nothing, there's no uh, high drama in it, but for, I'm really glad that it's kind of boring because I think that's just what my parents wanted for me is just to have that strong foundation in my faith from a young age and to have that sustain me. Well, and I always, I always tell our students here, there is no such thing as a dull no, testimony because at not. the end of the day, we're dead in our sins. We're yeah. lost. And then the Holy Spirit brings us back to life. You know, we're, we're brought to life in Christ and, and yeah. any other story pales in comparison yeah. to that. You know what I mean? So, so church, it does sound like it was a, a pretty special experience. Do you have any special memories? You went to a, what I'm guessing was a fairly conservative church in Kansas, um, Wichita, Kansas, if I recall correctly. Um, do you have any special memories of that church? Anything you look back and say, wow, I miss those days. I mean, I remember when we would go on our, you know, lots of different church retreats, they had kids retreats, family retreats. And I remember at the family retreats, we would all sit around this almost an amphitheater style campfire. So lots of people there and people would be sharing, whether they'd be sharing parts of their testimony or just kind of open sharing. And a lot of people would start off by saying, I've been a part of this church for 20 years. Or I've been a part of the church for seven years. And I just thought, you know what? 
I can't wait for me to be 65 so I can be here and say, mm-hmm. I've been a part of this church for 65 years. Like mm-hmm. I really just wanted to, I saw myself as wanting, I just wanted to stay there um, for the rest of my life because I really, I mean, so obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't even live there anymore. So that's, that's not the case. Right. But um, I think, yeah, our youth groups and retreats and Wednesday night, I mean, that's just, it was the, certainly the majority of our family friends were from church and my, were both leaders in the church, very involved in the church. Um, and I remember I sang, uh, Lord, listen to your children praying. Uh, cause I like to sing growing up. I did theater growing up and I sang that when I was 11, um, in front of our whole church. And it was just a couple weeks actually before nine 11, but wow. that was, I just felt really like, loved and supported and anchored i mean it's i i had a good experience overall i really did and that's lovely a big why i am a christian today i love it yeah it's great well so you know in terms of i want to read your bio and we'll just kind of shoot through this real quick because you are i always tell people this is the risk of being an accomplished individual is that (laughs) you've got this bio that people are you know we're going to read before you can answer too many questions but here it goes it says matthew vines is the founder and executive director of the reformation project and the author of god in the gay christian the biblical case in support of same-sex relationships he lives in dallas texas matthew attended harvard university from 2008 to 2010 he then took a leave of absence that sounds much better than drop dropping out Matthew. <laughs> that's what you did you took it you, you took a yeah. you took a, a leave of absence um but wow harvard well what were you studying when you went to harvard well you don't really have to declare a major there until the beginning of your sophomore year so my freshman year okay. i was just taking classes then i started in what was called social studies which is really just their social and political theory major and i enjoyed it but i ended up switching to philosophy uh, which I also enjoyed, but then I left shortly thereafter. So it almost feels like I shouldn't yeah. really get to say I was a philosophy major because I was only doing that for one semester before I left. Hey. All right. Well, it says he took a leave of absence in order to research the Bible and same-sex relationships and work towards LGBTQ inclusion in the church. In March 2012, Matthew delivered a speech at a church in his hometown of Wichita, Kansas, and the Bible about the Bible and same-sex relationships, calling for acceptance of gay Christians and their marriage relationships. Uh, The video of the speech was viewed more than a million times on YouTube, leading to a feature story in the New York Times that fall. In 2013, Matthew launched the Reformation Project, a Bible-based Christian nonprofit organization that works to advance LGBTQ inclusion in the church while remaining grounded in a love for God, a love for the Bible, and a love for the church. The Reformation Project hosts a variety of events, including a conference, a parents in process group, a pastors in process group, and leadership training cohorts. So, uh, Matthew, what your bio does not mention, but I find very interesting because I found this out about you on on Wikipedia, is that in high school, you maintained a very popular, very successful uh, fan site regarding Harry Potter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a Is that thing still going? 
No, I, I, no. I shut it down when I went to college because I wanted to move on at that point. But it was a really fun time in my life when I was in sixth or seventh grade. Uh, that oh, wow. was that was just that was around the time that the fifth book came out in 2003. Um, and I didn't have much to do that summer and ended up just being on the computer <laughs> and ended up starting a Harry Potter fan site that just kept kind of growing. And it got to the point it got large enough that Warner Brothers actually ended up they flew me out to the movie premieres to be on the red carpet interviewing cast members. I got to go to the sets of the movies in England um, and to interview the wow. cast. Oh. I got to go to the press junkets. So when I was 15, I uh, there was one weekend at school where I had to miss a day of school because my dad and I flew to London to go to the press junket for the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire movie. And uh, I was 15, so I was the youngest person in the room. And I was basically a journalist. I mean, that's how I was treated. I got the journalist badge and entry. And I got to, so I got to see the movie a month before it came out, which my friends at school were very jealous of because everybody was excited to see the movie. And I was pretty pleased about that. And uh, then I went back two weeks later to London to go to the premiere of the movie um, wow. and got to meet. Yeah, it was just a really, really cool experience. And then I got to do it again, like a couple years later with the Order of the Phoenix movie. And I went to the premieres in London, New York, Los Angeles. Um, wow. I got to meet J.K. Rowling on the red carpet in London, um, and it got to the point where the cast members would recognize me because I'd been around enough. Um, <laughs> so it was it was just a really awesome experience. Uh, Absolutely. And yeah, so I, I feel very blessed and privileged to have been able to do all that. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on the spot then and, and include you in a conversation that we oftentimes have around here at the school. We have a couple of different book clubs. And, and that is to say, if you were on a desert island and you couldn't have both books and movies, if you had to pick either the Harry Potter books or the Harry Potter movies, which would you choose? Oh, certainly the books. I mean, I love the okay. movies, but you can only include so much in the movies. The only problem with the books is uh, that book five was a little bit too long and needed tighter editing, especially around Grimald Place, which was admittedly kind of boring. Okay. That section, I was just like, ooh, like th these 80 pages, nobody needed Creature. We didn't need that whole saga. Um, sorry if J.K. Rowling is listening. But um, that, other than that, everything that books is great. Um, I actually, it's funny because as I'm sure you all know, and I don't think this is really so much the case today, but especially 20 years ago, there was certainly concern from a number of Christians around uh, the fact that Harry Potter is a school for wizards, right? And so, right. well, you know, what are kind of the messages here? So most people in my church kind of had a somewhat nuanced take on it, but because there were some people with concerns, when I was 14, my dad actually helped me write an article that I published on my website that was called Harry Potter for Christians, question mark. And I was, it was basically an essay where I was making the case for why I thought it was okay for Christians to like Harry Potter. And my basic argument was, it's kind of funny, you could say in some ways it's like, uh, you know, foreshadowing things I would do in the future. But my basic argument was that the sort of what, what it meant to be a wizard in the world of Harry Potter was very different than the sort of witchcraft that's described in the Bible, because nobody's appealing to dark, demonic, or satanic forces in order to give them these special powers. Uh, it's just in the world of Harry Potter, it's almost just like X-Men sort of thing, where it's just like people, some people naturally are born with these unique abilities and that 
because there was no appeal to the occult or to or to the extent that dark powers are described in Harry Potter, it's as a bad thing, right? And so still the world of Harry Potter has room for like light and dark, good and bad. Um, but it it's just, I just saw the whole wizard thing functioning very differently in terms of what that meant in the world of Harry Potter versus what that meant in the Bible. So I was like, certainly we should absolutely oh. be against actual witchcraft, <laughs> which is not something that Christians should support, of course. Um, but I just think that the world of Harry Potter is different. And as long as kids can recognize the difference between fantasy and reality, uh, I think this is something, as long as parents feel their kids have that grasp on it, then I think it's okay. So that was the argument yeah. that I made. And that's, well, that's the position we take as a yeah, school. This is absolutely. a very private individual decision yeah. that, that families families will take. I'm personally not a Harry Potter guy, but I, I am. am. Yeah, you are. I am. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we're, we're learning something about each other today, Matthew. That, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, as, as we go through your story, I, you know, can you talk a little bit about your decision to leave Harvard? What was going, I mean, what an incredible opportunity, but you, you had come to a point, a, a juncture in your life where you decided, hey, I'm going to go in a different direction. What was that decision about? What was that moment in your story like? Yeah, it's a good question. I certainly never thought that I would not finish when I first started as a very academically minded person. Um, Basically, the long and short of it was that by my sophomore fall at school, I had come to terms with being gay, and that was a very difficult thing for me to process. Mm. Um, basically, I mean, I, I think I tried to do when I was in high school. I, mean, I didn't even know gay people existed till I was in middle school, and I didn't really meet any gay people till I was in high school. There were a few gay people, openly gay people, at our school but none of them came from Christian homes or backgrounds. And so it didn't present, I just sort of thought, well, I know what you know our church believes about this. I'm just gonna focus on loving people, which you can rarely go wrong with that, right? <laughs> I mean, right. always focus on loving people. But when I then went to college, I just, it was a very different context and there were many more openly gay people and I got to know them better and just was, faced on a more daily basis with a lot of their stories of rejection and um, in some cases being kicked out and disowned by Christian family, um, a lot of really terrible treatment from churches. And it really grieved me. Even at the time, I was not even ready to try to ask myself any questions about my own sexual orientation because I think I just could not handle that. But even just thinking about it for the sake of other people, I was, I was very concerned and conflicted in feeling like that it was upsetting to me that I felt like, even though I got involved in a Christian ministry on campus, I knew that for a lot of friends I was meeting who came from more secular backgrounds, their perception of Christianity had been very tarnished by that in particular, the way that they had seen their gay friends treated. And I just thought that something about this seems wrong to me, that you care so much about your friends who are kind of mistreated or outcast that that's why you're not interested in Jesus. I was like, but Jesus absolutely is going to mm -hmm. the outcasts and the, mis the mistreated people and people on the margins. And, and so I just thought, I feel like that's, that's actually a Christian impulse then that these people are expressing, but it's leading them to be disinterested in Christianity. And I thought that's not good um, because that's one of the things that I found most attractive about Jesus growing up. And then a lot of people I was meeting couldn't even see that. That was, I felt like there were a lot of, I, I felt like the, are the light of Christianity and of Jesus had essentially been put under a bushel for a lot of people because they were there were a lot of other things that were preventing them from encountering Jesus in the way that I had. 
So I ended up actually doing a Bible study on this with some other Christian students in my campus ministry, um, just to really try to grapple with it more. I ended up through that Bible study, changing my mind about um, whether or not same-sex relationships were categorically sinful. And then I thought, well, it would be really, you know, anyway, the long and short of it was, it's only after I then changed my mind and decided it was something I was passionate about, wanting to advocate for greater support and inclusion of gay people in the church. Only later on then was I, once I worked through all that at an impersonal level, then eventually, once I, I think I got depressed enough for a variety of other reasons, I was willing to ask myself that question. Once I was willing to ask myself whether or not, whether or not I was gay, the answer was very obvious, and it could have been obvious to me for years before had I been willing to ask it. I just wasn't willing to ask it because wow. it would have been too difficult yeah. for me to process. But I remember the first thing that I wanted when I came to that realization, I wanted this even before then, I wanted to go on YouTube. I wanted to find a video, like an hour-long video that was talking about these main scriptural passages, but from a more, from a perspective that was not trying to negate scripture, that was not trying to uh, put down the Bible, um, that was coming from the perspective that I was raised with, which was with a high view of the Bible and its authority, um, but that was helping me to understand these passages. And I felt like I'd done some study, but I really wanted to know more. And I just couldn't find a resource like that. So I ended up at the end of that semester, I went home and I thought, I just need some time to work through all of this. Um, especially because my parents, I knew that they were not in the same place that I was in terms of their thinking and their beliefs on this topic, because we'd had some conversations about it recently. And so I, when I went home, I came out to my parents, which was really hard, um, but they were very, I mean, they're very loving people and they always have been. They just were thrown for a loop by it. It was not something that they were expecting or prepared for, but, um, my dad in particular, um, was, um, I, I'd, I asked him if he would be willing to at least hear out a different perspective. And he said that he would be, but he also wanted me to be willing to hear out a different perspective. Yeah. And so I thought I just need to take at least a semester off from school just to work through this conversation with my parents, because I've always had a really close relationship with them. And I really valued and still value that. And I knew this was such a significant thing. This could you know, this is the sort of thing that sometimes can cause rifts in relationships. And I didn't want that. I wanted to really invest in the relationships with my parents to make sure that we have the chance to process this together and to work through this together and think through it together. And the long and short of that is eventually, um, my dad was hoping I would change my mind <laughs> through this study process. I was hoping he would change his mind. Eventually, he did come to a different perspective um, on the topic. And then I went back to school for one semester, but then I just thought, you know, I really what I'm, I, I really want to help Christians engage this conversation in a better way. And so much of the way that this conversation is typically framed is just that it's like Christians versus like a secular kind of like LGBTQ worldview or agenda that can feel kind of threatening, but that also just feels kind of hopeless from a dialogue standpoint, <laughs> if you feel like the worldviews are so fundamentally apart from one another that they're all, all you can really do is just try to be nice to people across that. But like, there's just so little room for, you know, actual overlap. So I ended up then coming back and, you know, having a lot of conversations with other people at our church, 
And that's what then led me to give that talk that I posted on YouTube and to, to be doing things since then. So I was trying to be a little bit concise <laughs> about it. Did you give that talk at your church, Matthew? Was that your church you gave that talk? No, it was not. Okay. They, uh, okay. My church, I would not say that my church was particularly receptive um, to where I was coming from because my church at the time was actually part of a denomination. They were part of the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church denomination, which at the time was... Uh, changing its policy nationally to allow for gay clergy and the church that i grew up in did not support this and so they were actually that at the same time i was trying to have these conversations they were in the process of leaving the denomination over that disagreement so it wasn't the, there were a lot of factors that didn't make it the best time or opportunity to try to have open dialogue about it but so i ended up um then giving the talk at a different church that I, that was not the church that I grew up in, but that was willing to let okay. me do. And forgive my, uh, sorry, forgive my uh, lack of knowledge of Kansas uh, geography, but is West, uh, Westboro is in Topeka, Kansas. Yes. And, um, and you're in Wichita. Is that, I, I know that was a loud voice on the internet. Did your friends from Harvard know about Westboro and, oh, uh, and some of that Westboro. hate? Yes. If anything, I mean, Westboro had a, a an, an amazing visibility in terms of shaping people's perceptions of Christianity, which I also thought was very unfair because as awful as Westboro was, um, that is certainly, they do not reflect where the overwhelming majority of right. Christians, regardless of their beliefs are coming from. That's just so, and that was another thing that actually frustrated me at Harvard was I felt like I would, I felt like there was such a, in the same way that I, I was frustrated with sometimes some people at my church back home where I felt like you don't really know very many gay people. Maybe you don't know any openly gay people. And some of the things you're saying sound like you just don't have those human relationships that are shaping how you're looking at this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that some of the things that some of the stereotypes or some of the caricatures that you're putting forward are necessarily consistent with the reality of most people. But by the same token, I was frustrated with people I would meet at college who I was like, you don't really know very many conservative Christians, do you? <laughs> because you have this idea that these people are foaming at the mouth bigots. And of course you can always find some examples of people behaving in, in horrible ways, right? But that is not representative of the overwhelming, I was like, I can't think of anybody at the church that I was raised in that is like that. No one. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not, that is fringe. I can't think of anybody outside of them. Bear. I mean, there's probably are, but that seems like that the loudest voice gets a lot of attention. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, I you might find what might be more common would just be maybe uh, not very, not as much compassion as people might should right. be expressing, not as much empathy as should be expressed. But, but in terms of outright hatred, it's, it's not very common. And I was just yeah. like, you can't. And so the idea, you know, a lot of people's attitude was, oh, well, you should just, just stay, move out to the East Coast, just stay here and just say goodbye to those, you know, benighted people. And I was just like, that's not right at all. Mm. It's so unfair. A, to these people to say that you think that they would have, I don't, you know, th that you would see them in such a one-dimensional way. And it's, I just know from my experience, that's not true. That's not who the people who raised me and who grew up with me and like helped, you know, that's just not who they are. And yeah. I want to at least give people the opportunity to have a conversation. And it doesn't mean people are necessarily going to agree, but I do think that having the conversation, because I was also seeing what would happen is, there were, there were other people at the church who'd grown up, people even around my age, who came out as gay when they went to college. And they just, they just were gone. 
right? They didn't, they didn't want to go back. They didn't want to talk to people. They felt a sense of a rejection just based on people's beliefs that they knew that they had. And that was it. And I understand, I mean, it was not easy for me to go back and to have a lot of these conversations. So I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but it also pained me to think that, oh, like I'm seeing, you know, I feel like a lot of wires are getting crossed where people are talking past one another because then people yeah. will see friends who had a really, like they left in a way that for them was a deeply painful experience. But a lot of people at their church had no idea. They didn't know what they were going through. They didn't know what they were feeling or experiencing. And so I just thought, well, I want at least, I feel like we need to at least give each other the chance of trying to uh, have more of a conversation. So, you know, I, and, and that's where I want to hit the pause button here. And I want to just kind of state the obvious. And that is to say that on this particular issue, Matthew, we we don't agree, right? right. We come yeah. to it from a, a, what I would hold to would be a solid theological position on on an opposing side. And yet one of the high, one of the biggest reasons we, we wanted to have this conversation today was number one, we wanted to demonstrate civility of conversation. You know, we don't have to agree right. with each other on everything, but according to John chapter 13, Jesus says, Hey, it's by this. I want the world to see that you're my disciples, the way you love one another. Yeah. And, and sitting here today, I, you know, I want to say, Matthew, you're the prize. You know, you're the reason for Jesus coming to planet Earth, yeah. giving his life in, in allowing for his blood to wash away your sins. And what I love is you're sitting across the distance. You know, we're, we're doing this via yeah. Zoom or whatever today. And you feel the same thing about me. And, and, me. and, that, and, and, she, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's important for us to recognize. And within that, yeah. because we recognize each other as Imago Dei, we're made in the image and likeness of God. We yeah. have the opportunity to celebrate that, to love one another, and then to have this civil discourse. And when we're talking, and this is something we try to model for our students, we want our students to respect people, but inspect ideas. Yeah. Right. So at I the like end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, we may not agree on this particular issue, but man, Matthew, I respect the heck out of you. I think yeah. I think the fact that you're you're living by your convictions that you've you've sacrificed um, in order to make your convictions known. I think well, that's that's pretty cool. I think I think that's what you did, Matthew, when you did leave Harvard. You were inspecting these ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and this is and this is maybe where this is day one of a two part episode. Matthew has is very graciously agreed to come back tomorrow, and we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more fully about the theology of sexuality and and all of that. So, folks, thanks for tuning in today, and we look forward to rejoining Matthew Vines on Kingdom Culture Conversations tomorrow. Take care. Northwest Christian School has made Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, charter school, or homeschool. Frameworks is an exciting new initiative utilizing the learning management system of Grand Canyon University. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com.